0: Pa- ko- ko-
1: ko- pag-
0: Thank you for having me, Joe.
1: Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnansky, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, the other day, and I don't know who did this, I actually should look up the, the person who tweeted this out, uh, but somebody tweeted out something that I thought was very fitting of the podcast he was he was doing a conversation between him uh and a friend i guess and the friend was saying what's your favorite podcast and what's your favorite podcast about and he said it's about nothing uh (laughs) but i but i guess baseball literally it's what he said nothing but i guess baseball and the person said oh cool how many times was it on during the postseason and he said once but they just kind of talked about magic you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and i thought that is the perfect description of this of this thing yeah
0: that's it's perfect. about nothing and it's never on that's, a per- that's
1: a per- <laughs> and when it is on we really might talk about like the stupidest thing imaginable so i may have told uh, this story
0: before but you know uh, in the old days uh hundreds of years ago i sure. worked on a blog called fire joe morgan fjm and yes. uh, i had a, a bunch of my friends and it was about bad sports writing most of the people listening to this probably are already aware of this, but in case you aren't, it was around sure. for a few years and we just basically reprinted dumb sports writing and then went <laughs> line by line and made fun of it. And it, it eventually it got linked to by Deadspin, R.I.P. Deadspin, by the way. R.I.P.
1: Um, we need to talk about that.
0: That's a whole separate issue. Yeah, uh, But it, so it got linked to by Deadspin and it actually garnered a pretty steady and fairly significant readership and we got approached by i don't know what blogger consortium was around at the time that said like hey (laughs) would you be interested in like in like making this official because we were literally just doing it ourselves and we would be part of this larger blogosphere and you would uh, you know you would sell we would sell ads and you would make money and we were very skeptical of this for many reasons and we were like well what would it what would be required Of us because we really just do this as a hobby. We do it. We don't even coordinate what we're posting. Like, and uh, the person was like, well, okay. So basically you would, you would, you know, you'd have to post like, you know, every day. And ideally you would post (laughs) one thing at 9am East coast time. And then you would have to post at least one more thing by noon East coast time. And then you'd want to post one thing by like four East coast time. And there'd be a minimum of like 18 posts a day. And like one eighth of the way into this email, we were like, Oh, we're not doing this. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm surprised that it really would pass you you would have to. Like yeah. those four words would be enough to he, just like end it. He
0: almost lost us at you would have to and then <laughs> did lose us as soon as he laid out any of the things we would have had to have done.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is like it's it's the, the great thing about this podcast is that you and I have never made a dime on it, even though we've been doing it for sixteen thousand years now. That's right. And and here's the thing that's so fun about that. If we ever did make any money on this, it would immediately become work and we would stop doing it. Yeah. I'm totally convinced of that. That's, that's, oh, I mean, like, uh, oh, the, we gotta the, do that? No, I'm not doing
0: that. This is actually a perfect kind of like dovetail into a quick RIP deadspin conversation yeah. because there is an, there's an aspect of what I think of as labors of love. And that doesn't mean when I say labors of love, I don't necessarily mean things that don't aren't intended to turn a profit some things right. that are intended right. to turn a profit are also labors of love but sure. the drive to the modern day capitalistic drive to make everything as monetarily valuable as it can be is ends up destroying all of those things that's no just doubt. the there's just no you, there's no way around it like deadspin think whatever is a lot of reasonable people can have a lot of reasonable opinions about deadspin deadspin was unequivocally the site of an enormous an amount of great writing there was mm-hmm. great great writing about sports and about other stuff the roster of writers that they had on that site is incredible like it's incredible, incredible. there is Absolutely. so many smart funny interesting people writing about so many different subjects and then and this is just the story these days it's the story in newspapers it's the story in so many different industries
1: magazines sure. yeah
0: everything like a hedge fund invests in the product they don't care about the product. They don't care about whether it's good or not. They just care about how much money it can make. And they just slash staff and they slash benefits and they slash all sorts of stuff. And they maximize ad sales. And they, they're they just locusts. They just swarm yes. over the thing. They devour True. it and then they move on. And there's a real problem and a disconnect, I think, right now between the the people who own and operate places where writing is done and the and the actual writing that's being done there. And the disconnect comes from the fact that the people who own and operate those sites or those magazines or those institutions just don't care whether it's good. Like they're right. not interested right. in whether it's good or not. They don't seem to have an affinity for it. And this is, you know, it's to, to a certain extent, it's true in TV too, is like the bare minimum you have to uh, uh, be if you own a place like this is interested in what it makes, like, right. have to be, and, and I just get this really unpleasant feeling that the majority of the people who own the majority of places that are producing stuff, don't care about it. They don't yeah. care about whether it's good or what it's saying or why it's saying it or anything. That's a huge problem. And I, I I'm not naive. I understand how capitalism works. But at the same time, if you're not interested in the thing that it's doing, then why are you in it what go be interested in something else like go buy something else like let leave this
1: alone man it's a real shame i totally agree and and there's another element of this that i think is is you know I, i think probably speaks to larger larger things in our society today and and you know i'm not saying this wasn't always true but specific to deadspin i was often well often not not Peter King often, but sometimes <laughs> <laughs> a target of, of Dead Spin in good ways and bad ways, where they were way too good to me, way too kind to me, or as the person involved, mean to me. Sure. Kind of mean right. And I and I got it from both sides. And you know, look when when they're mean to you, you don't like it. And when they're too nice to you, you're like, Oh my god, thank you. You know, I mean you're you feel all of that. None of that changed ever changed my view of what Deadspin is, though. I mean, either way, I always thought this is a place that marches to its own heart, right? It does not, you know, I mean, the whole thing about, you know, no favors, no, all that stuff, eh, you know, here and there, you know, I, I don't know how much I, you know, by that we all have our biases and all that, but um, they wrote stuff that was interesting and unique and original and completely different from anything else out there. And the only way you can do that is to walk out on the ledge all the time, right? Right. And it was successful. That's the thing (laughs) that drives you nuts. I know. It was, right? It had huge readership. It had huge, like, uh, like Cultural impact, yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's not enough. It's not enough because it didn't make enough money and it ruffled too many feathers and uh, these guys are uncontrollable and this, and it, oh, it's, it is the worst of the worst, honestly. I mean, and that's why, you know, the greatest, maybe, maybe this and I'm curious what you think. Maybe this is just the, the fate for anything that burns that hot, right? Like, you know, this is, this is where like the, the, the you know, the uh, village uh, voice went, right? This is where Mad Magazine went. This is where all of these places that have, have really pushed the envelope, at some point, somebody buys them and says we can make more money doing it this way, and 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 then they die. And I, I don't know if that's an inevitability, but it shouldn't be. It just well, it's shouldn't
0: hard. Be. Yeah, this is hardly a new phenomenon. It just is right. more pronounced these days. I think with the rise of of like you know private equity or venture capital or whatever you want to call it um but Alex Perrine has a great piece in the New Republic that came out today called the death of the rude press which is basically talking about this exact it actually mentions mad magazine and it yeah. it just talks about how like there's is, there's is a a great tradition in this country of media outlets or press outlets that are essentially at their heart rude they don't care about um ruffling feathers in fact they intend to ruffle feathers they intend to the the it's an overused phrase but they intend to sort of speak truth to power and they don't care if you are offended by what they have to say because it's important that they be allowed to say it and the problem is that attitude and the idea of like maximizing profit or something uh come into conflict by the way it's not essentially different From someone, uh, uh, Daryl Morey, saying something like, hey, Hong Kong ought to be free and people should get um, tear gassed and beaten up for wanting to be free. And suddenly the most powerful commissioner in sports and the most yep. powerful players in that sport are like, yeah, yep. you know what? He's uh, he's got to watch what he says here. we got to be careful. And it's, it's like that, that was so shocking to me that, that heartbreaking. Happened. It, heartbreaking. it really is like LeBron James and James Harden people who have zero to lose really except right. money um, because the league they play in has, is making a whole lot of money from China have to tow a company line in a way they have never done that before. LeBron James wore an I can't breathe sweatshirt out onto the court before a game. Players in this league at one point basically had a meeting before a Clippers game and said, if Donald Sterling isn't removed for his awful racist views, we're not playing this game tonight. And it worked because that league does stuff like that. And so to see that league completely capitulate To a sort of like safe corporate zone of like, let's all watch what we say about China. I mean, goodness gracious. Now, these things aren't exactly the same. It's not apples to apples, obviously, but it is part of this larger kind of scary ecosystem where when money is calling the shots, when nothing but money is calling the shots. People suddenly change their views, and it's such a bummer. Especially when it's LeBron James. <laughs> like oh, LeBron was... James is a hero. That guy is the best. He does so many amazing, beautiful, wonderful things. He's so he's like a he's a unicorn of uh, uh, until now. He has been a unicorn of athleticism and a unicorn of humanity in so many ways. And that was that broke my heart, man. That was, that was just awful. the worst to watch. That, that was happen.
1: awful. For for a number of reasons, including what what is it? What would it cost? What's going to cost LeBron James? You know what I mean? I mean, it's like the NBA is is so tied in with China, and China is so much a part of the future. And look what they did, Daryl Morey. You can you're telling me that in the United States of America, you cannot tweet out like I'm I'm with people looking for freedom? Are you kidding me? I mean, no. this, this is where we've gone, and so the whole thing was depressing and awful, but then when the players started jumping in, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I know you play in the end. Your money is not going to get affected here. I mean, you know, maybe LeBron has some big China strategy after he retires or whatever, but You've got to be kidding me! And well,
0: except except that like the argument is you know the salary cap is tied to revenue and they're well, going to sure. lose a billion dollars in revenue and so yeah, I guess it will be affected not, in, in some. Not Lebron.
1: In some not Lebron. Run, LeBron. Obviously. Except be like, be a, max, a max
0: contract gets slightly lower or whatever. But right. like, but right. but come on, man! That yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It should not matter to you if if the league revenue takes a hit. Because you are compromising the essence of what it means to live in a free society. And there is right. not, there, you cannot, say, let's say the league loses a billion dollars of Chinese revenue over the next, uh, you know, year, two years, whatever it is. Then you literally what you're saying is, yes, it's worth a billion dollars to compromise my beliefs. Right. And that's just straight <laughs> up what you're saying. You're just saying that. <laughs> like it's very clear. Like that's the, the, like the, the, the statement contains that idea in it. Right, that it is worth a billion dollars of revenue to me, to uh, to say something that I don't totally believe in, and it's just hard to believe that anyone, if it, if it were put to you flatly in that way, that that's how you would approach any anything. Like I, I mean, there's you know, there, it, it it is heartbreaking is the only word for it. Honestly,
1: it, it really is. By the way, I want to apologize to our listeners for actually making this about something. I can't. How now, what we do we do that? Doing?
0: Well, it's a, this, is a, this is all a long way of saying, don't worry, we will never be paid for this podcast because we don't ever want to have to compromise our values for money.
1: <laughs> and, and if any if any podcast out there represents true values, it's got to be this one, right? I mean, That's don't right. you think? Yes, yeah, and what that we makes...
0: value is a long, rambling meaninglessness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as well we should, as well we should. All right, let's go on to the meaninglessness. We're going to start this week uh, we'll start like we're not 15 minutes into this thing already, but we're going to start our general uh, portion of the podcast with a draft. We're going to do this a little backward because we don't, we're going to, we're keeping this one to an hour. We are doing that. That is happening. Sure. So, so we <laughs> definitely, so, <laughs> so we are, so we're going to uh, start with a draft and, and it's going to be a, a little bit of a reduced draft because we, we are drafting. This will be our way of summing up the postseason. We are drafting individual World Series games from this past World Series, which will give us an opportunity to talk about those games and talk about whether or not we think this really was a great series or just kind of a weird series, which is sort of the topic we were going to have anyway. Um what do you think, right? This is what we're doing, right? Yeah, we're just drafting seven people.
0: of them. So one of us gets four choices and one of them gets three choices.
1: And and that, and that the person with four will also have the last choice, which will make it very difficult for that person to win, because I think there's one dreadful game in here. So um, do you want first pick? Do you want the four choices or do I want the four no, choices? No,
0: go, you, you go ahead and take them.
1: All right, I'm going to take the four choices. Uh, I'm going to go completely off the board on all of these, by the way. So... I don't believe, and look, none of these games at the end were super-duper competitive in the last couple of innings. There's a one-run game in there, but even that one we'll talk about. Um, so I'm just going to go with the games I enjoyed the most. So I'm going to go with my first pick. I'm going to take game six of the World Series, which the Washington Nationals won 7-2. to two. Uh, I'm going to take that for uh, several reasons, uh, the first reason being uh, that if if the Astros had won – game six they would have won the series obviously they they were up three to one um uh they were up three no they were not they're up three to two correct yeah Yeah. they're up three to two so if they won that game they sent verlander out there uh so very good opportunity for them to wrap this thing up and if they had wrapped it up this would have been probably the most forgettable world series of that i can remember that i can't remember obviously the ones that are forgettable but um it was, it was a, you know, that was sort of a pivotal game and it had tremendous amounts of drama like throughout the game. It, it was, it ended up not being particularly close. It was seven to two as, as a final, but that was the game where you had uh, that amazing <laughs> psychotic runner interference play, right? Where, right. where they called, uh, they called him for, for interference, even though it was so vividly not interference. <laughs> and then, and then they had like a huge it was like it was it was sort of like looked like the opposite of interference you know in the way that because he the ball and the bag got there at the same time the the ball and the runner getting to the bag got there at the same time and it was a bad throw and so he had to reach across his body and there was there was it was clearly not interference and people went nuts immediately on Twitter and everywhere else and then the umpires like went to New York to talk about it but the play really wasn't reviewable right. and then there was this long long i mean it felt like forever i mean it probably was 5 minutes or something but there was this long thing in the middle where where they they you know they they were talking and nobody really even knew what they were talking about and and it just kept the delay went on and on and on and then at the end of the inning Washington Nationals manager Davey Martinez goes psycho absolutely nuts on the field and like they're they're holding him back in in like a very real way like sometimes you'll see that they're holding you back but you're not really making an effort to go attack anybody you're just kind of pretending to no he was they were holding him back and and the announcers in in perfect sort of announcer fashion are like You know, that guy just had a heart problem, you know, while he's like going crazy (laughs) on the field. And I'm like, this is great. And then Anthony Rendon puts the game away with that home run and has the most – unquestionably, the quietest, awesome home run trot I've ever seen in my entire life, right? Like one of those, just like he is, no emotion. He barely high fives the guy at the plate. It was so badass. It was just like the greatest thing. So even though the game itself was, eh, you know, it was really, really good up until about the seventh and eighth inning, uh, and it has some great stuff in it. So that is going to be my first pick.
0: Uh, We assume that the lengthy delay was – um, the umpires on the field and in New York, all agreeing that it was a bad call and then trying to find a way to make it reviewable and overturnable, right? Like, that's right, what I right. assumed was going on. Like, you know, so. like it's like a bad call, but if but by the letter of the law, it's not a reviewable play because it's a judgment call. And so I think they were all like, is there anything we can do here because this is embarrassing? And then the answer is no. And so they just let it stand. And it it raised, I mean, I wrote about this on Twitter. A million people wrote about this on Twitter. It's the dumbest rule in sports because the batter has to run in foul territory and the bag is in fair territory. Right. And right. so it's an impossible, it's one of the dumbest remaining vestiges of the old world. And like you should yes. do they should have it be like like girls' softball, youth softball has the double bag, has one right. half of the bag in fair territory, and then a second bag in foul territory. Either do that. Or have the bag be in foul territory. One or the other. Or have it split the difference. But like, it's an insane thing. You can't train people. You can't run all the way down. Like, by the time you finish your swing, you're in fair territory. When you hit, when you the the line between the baseline, which baseball loves the baseline, is is from is from where you end up your swing is almost always takes you into fair territory. Right. Sure. It it doesn't. It's absurd to ask people to run in foul territory and then step back into fair territory at the last second. Fix this problem. That's the biggest yeah. thing to come out of that yeah. game. Fix, it's It's been a problem so many times. It's like it, this isn't – it happened in the World Series, and it's embarrassing that it happened in the World Series, but it happens in the regular season constantly. People are constantly being called out for running in fair territory, but you that's what are they going to do? Like banana
1: back around in foul territory and then run the first, like it's crazy. It's crazy. That's the problem. It's not just that you, you have to like, eventually, you know, maybe if the bag was in foul territory, the straight line would start in fair territory for the hitter. And then it would like diagonal into foul territory. Right. But that would still be the straightest line the only the only straight line is right exactly what the runner did right the only yeah. straight line is is turner just going straight up the line and and uh and and hitting the bag the way he did so like the whole thing made no sense at all and then Seventeen trillion people write "ball don't lie" when when Rendon hits <laughs> home run, right? So you know, so well, Ren- but,
0: Rendon, like the the real oh. story of this, there's there's a bunch of stories. Even though it wasn't a great World Series, there's a whole bunch of stories that come out of this. The top story is Anthony Rendon's arrival. Uh, oh. I mean, Soto's arrival, sure, but we all knew about Soto. Rendon has quietly been great for a long time now. Yeah, and it, the thing that he did by hitting that home run and sealing that game and saving. Saving baseball really from a really embarrassing AJ Brzezinski strike three situation, Um, saving saving baseball from having to deal with this question all through the offseason by winning that game. Uh, He it reminded me of in a different situation in Game Seven of the ALCS in two thousand four, an ALCS I happen to care about greatly. You might not know that, but I do. I didn't
1: know that. Um, I didn't. Yeah, like in in the
0: first inning, um, they the Red Sox were rallying and and Manny Ramirez got thrown out at the plate. Uh, on a play at the plate and the Yankee stadium was going bananas because it was like, here we go again. You know, every, every little thing breaks the Yankees way in these key right. moments It always has. And before they could stop cheering, yelling and screaming uh, in their stupid Bronx accents, um, <laughs> David Ortiz came up and hit a, hit a massive line drive homer to right field and the Red Sox were up two to nothing and they never looked back. And that crowd quieting moment was so important psychologically for the team. It was like, don't worry, we got more guys. Like, there's more. Yeah, <laughs> this, oh, yeah. won, this won't kill us. This used to kill us. In the past, stuff like this killed us. But it won't anymore because we're a different team and we have, we have the best hitters on the planet. And Rendon hitting that home run was like, it wasn't just ball, don't lie. It was, this is all going to be okay. Like, the yeah. Nationals got this. Oh. And I, I didn't think they were. I never really thought they were going to win the series, even when they were up 2-0. Until he hit that home run, I was like, "Oh, this is they're going to win this." Like, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're not phased by these terrible calls, and and they can overcome these terrible moments. Side note: Baseball either put a double bag on at first, which will affect nothing. It literally will affect nothing because that part of the bag isn't in play. It is not, right. It's not right uh, on the playing field. Or make everything reviewable. I mean, for God's sakes, what are we doing here? Um, ridiculous. Are, it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. You're, you're, you pick game six. I think that was my favorite game, but I'll go with game one um Ooh. because game 1 the one run game 5-4 nats um a couple of things first of all Juan Soto hit a home run off Garrett Cole that ruled that was amazing awesome. Uh, awesome. and also i think everybody assumed the astros were going to just sweep and so by the nationals taking game 1 in houston and beating garrett cole who hadn't lost since like july of 2012 or something uh beating garrett cole scoring 5 runs off garrett cole uh, was was like a message that like the series was going to be more interesting than I think we all thought. And beyond that, it was it was a a, a really tense game because the Nats went up five two and then the and then Springer hits a, Springer uh who I don't know what happens to that guy in the, in the postseason <laughs> it's Rick. he becomes a a true monster in the postseason. Um so he hits a home run in the seventh to bring it to five three. They score another run in the eighth to bring it to 5 4. And you're thinking, like, well, here we go. The Nats were had fun for a little while, but here come the Astros. And then they just held on and won the game. Doolittle yeah. shut them down in the ninth. And, like, that was a really big deal. Like, to win game one in Houston, and the Astros had been threatening the whole game, they kept almost breaking through against Scherzer. They left, like, 11 guys on base. They kept, like, you just, you, they kept, they, you kept thinking, this was it, this is it, this is it and they just never quite got over the hump and that was like a big deal just to know that the series was going to go 5 games never mind that the Nats might actually win uh now right. that, I, I, that was my i think game 6 was my favorite game because it was the most interesting in all probability but game 1 i think was arguably the best game of the series i think
1: it, well it was the one run game I, you know again it was it was one run but it did not the the the, the Nationals definitely put it together, uh, Strasburg, you know, was, was good uh, all the way, you know, until he, he, until he came out and then, and then, um, and then, you know, Doolittle finishes it off. But I mean, it was, it was, game one was, uh, was uh, excellent. I mean, I, you know, I thought it was, it was excellent until like I say the eighth or ninth inning, but it did have my single favorite moment of the series, which was Soto's Homer off of Cole, because yeah. It, it, first of all, Cole really did come into that game as like, well, this is the new, you know, this is the new guy, right? This is the new Bob Gibson. I mean, they're not like every, not every playoffs, but every decade or so you'll have one series that, you know, one postseason that is utterly dominated by a pitcher, uh, whether it's a Bumgarner or it's a Mike Scott or it's, uh, you know, whoever the case may be, Cole Hamels. Remember when he had his, his crazy postseason. And this looked like it was going to be Cole. looked like he would never get up another run. And, Soto's whole attitude during that game uh you know he he struck out in the first I believe and 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 like on three pitches maybe and just kind of looked a little a little overwhelmed and then and then uh he comes out in the in that inning and he's like high fastball I mean this is what this this is the genius this guy is he was 20 at the time he's like oh he's gonna throw me a high fastball and I'm gonna hit it out I mean that's who thinks like that? Like who? Like it's that's like it's like a Ted Williams like thinking for a. And for then call you know, like Cole dots
0: a dots a ninety nine mile an hour fastball, <laughs> uh, at the top of the zone on the right? inside corner, and he just he just launches it into into the nether sphere. I mean it's yeah, it is he obviously. is a um, he reminds me of like Manny Ramirez or of uh, you know he's not quite yeah. Vlad Guerrero because he has a great eye. But he what? is one of those just hitting geniuses who just yeah. is in complete control. You never feel like he even when he strikes out, it, you, you want to believe that like he's doing it intentionally to set up the <laughs> pitcher for the next and bad or whatever. He just uh, I, he's I mean, we are very lucky. I know baseball has its problems, but I, I also feel extremely lucky that we get to watch that guy play for the next 15 years.
1: Oh, yeah, I love that guy. I love him all right uh a couple of choices for me for game- for the my second pick, but I'm going to go with game seven uh It did have a lot of interesting elements it it kind of got away from everybody in the in the uh you know in the seventh but uh it had some interesting elements. It had granky, you know one of my all time favorite guys uh just absolutely being like the ultimate version of granky just. Had them completely off balance, perfectly mixing in these goofy, you know, 60, 58 mile an hour curveballs with with a fastball that he's putting exactly where he wants to put it. And a slider that's just about as fast as his fastball now. And and he's just I mean, it was just painting. I mean, it was just beautiful to watch. And then, you know, we're in a different era where. You know he he struggles a bit in the in the well he really made one bad pitch in the seventh where with the Rendon uh, changeup that he threw that really caught way too much of the plate and and an interesting I thought an interesting thing about that was he 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 gets Eaton Adam Eaton in the you know to lead off the seventh and Rendon comes up and he shake he goes one zero he throws a ball. And then he shakes off the catcher. And, and as soon as he did that, I thought, that's not a good sign. That's I mean, <laughs> Really, because I just thought those guys have been so on the same page all game that, that, to me, if Greinke's shaking him off, it's like, oh, there's a pitch he doesn't trust in himself. And he called for the changeup. He shook off to the changeup. And, he, man, that was a meatball. I mean, it was just – it was the only bad pitch that I remember him throwing the whole game. Rendon does exactly what he always does to, you know, change ups that are over the middle of the plate. He hits it out. And then he has that weird at bat with Soto where he threw two balls that looked like strikes that were called balls and, and ends up walking him. And we're, this is the first era, the last 10, 15 years is the first era where that, where that would be enough to take him out of the game, yeah but it did, but it did. And they took him out and I don't disagree with it, by the way. I mean, it was, I think it was the right decision for the odds he brought in will harris who's been terrific for them will harris throws a very very good pitch to howie kendrick and kendrick pokes it off the right field foul pole for a home run and the game's over essentially yeah and that's you know that that's baseball and and but i just thought that whole series was interesting enough that you know and then of course it's game seven and it it ends up you know the nationals celebrate and it's always interesting to watch somebody do that in the other team's park and all that but um, I didn't think it was a great game, but I thought it had numerous great elements to it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Granky threw 80 pitches. He had given yeah. up. A, he, you know, that Rendon's ball was launched. I get taking him out, especially when your bullpen is as good as the Astros bullpen, which right, is very, right. very good. And like you said, Harris's pitch. Look at that pitch location again. It's at the knees on the outside corner. Exactly it's exactly where you throw that it, pitch. It's a perfect pitch. Yeah, you and, would throw that pitch every time. And Howie Kendrick, something happened to him. Somebody put a quarter <laughs> in that guy right before the postseason, and he was just going bananas. And this Nationals team all year, that's what they did all year. They 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 didn't panic when they fell down uh, behind, and then they scored six runs in the last three innings off very, very, very good pitchers, and they won the World Series. And it Game, game 7 is so exciting. It's always exciting. Also, oh, it, had, it had another, um, you know, it had a, a, a great, a, a, not a great, a very good pitching performance by Scherzer, and then a wonderful relief appearance by Corbin, who turned well, into awesome. a, turned into awesome. like the, the ultimate weapon in the postseason. Um, yeah, it was a good game. It, the the final score doesn't look like it was a great game, but it was a it was a pretty good game. Um, by
1: the way, um, one, oh, one other thing we need to point out in our running commentary that we had throughout the entire postseason between you, me, and Brandon McCarthy. Remember early on in the postseason, McCarthy, uh, Brandon said something uh, to the effect of, um, well, Howie Kendrick better hit if they're going to put that yeah, glove Yeah, he said, Howie
0: team, Kendrick right? better better do something to justify his defense is the way he put it. <laughs> and then
1: he had to like 17 times during the postseason go, okay, I guess he's yep, justifying it, right? That's,
0: that's the thing he did. Um, I'm going to pick game three. Um, it, it was a, a pretty well-played game. Um, but the key to 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 it is that the nationals are up 2-0. so if the astros don 't win that game, the series is essentially over it 's sort of a it becomes a must win game in Washington uh, for the astros and they did a they, they had a very astrosy game um, grinke pitched very well uh, right. he threw he only threw four and two thirds innings um, and he labored a little bit he walked three guys, which is pretty atypical. But they then bring in all of those great bullpen guys who just oh, utterly shut down yeah. everybody, like yeah. James Peacock, Harris Smith, Osuna, five guys in a row. No, you know whatever it is, four and a third innings, no runs, two hits, um, you know, a bunch of strikeouts, and also they, you know, even though you didn't get like another Springer home run or whatever, you got Altuve was hitting the ball all over the all over the field. Yeah. Correa doubled. You know, they um, they stole a bunch of bases. Springer stole, stole two bases. Brantley stole a base. Tucker stole a base like they they all, they had. A, it was just like it was a remi- they, they had been thoroughly outplayed, including in game two, which I think is the worst game of the series. They yeah. were thoroughly outplayed for two games. They went to Washington with their backs against the wall and suddenly turned into the team that we had been watching all year. And I found that really delightful.
1: Yeah. And look, it was that, that part of it's absolutely true. I, I do. I really, really, really don't like that game. First of all, it's a four one game that lasted four hours. I mean, it's just, it's, that's, I don't want to get into the whole pace of play thing here, but that one felt long to me, but (laughs) much bigger, much bigger and more important than that. That had one of the worst intentional walks in the history of the world series and it did and it paid off or people will say it paid off and that was the nationals down four to one they were they were down three to one going into the six and then Chirinos hit the home run to make it four to one you know you're still in it they bring in fernando rodney which okay that alone you like what's the heck is going on (laughs) but they don't have a lot of choices and 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 I concede that point. So, you know, Rodney's your fourth guy out of the pen or something and in a perfect 7-game series you would never use him, but you know, fine. They bring him in, he struggles, you know, he's he is 83 years old. It's tough to to pitch at that stage. And then there are runners on second and third with two outs and Michael Brantley's coming to the plate. And admittedly, Michael Brantley is um was really good in this postseason Mm -hmm. good enough where you were like how did the astros get him again like what what the rest of the league was just sleeping what the heck was happening that they let the astros get michael brantley right so he intentionally walks michael brantley to load the bases for alex bregman that's right (laughs) please explain explain with two outs by the way it's
0: you paid off man (laughs) you know they, the strategy worked
1: <laughs> i do love that the next day brantley again faced rodney uh with the bases loaded um and uh, bregman faced him rather and uh, and and bregman hit it out yeah i, yeah. I they walked brantley not on, not intentionally that time i guess they walked him to load the bases and then bregman hit a very 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 long home run what do you think bregman had a good series I don't I don't no. think he did. He no. he he disappeared. I mean, he
0: had some big moments obviously, but he sure. you expect that guy. I mean, he's he's Mike Trout Jr. basically. Like yeah. he's yeah. he's he's the uh, you know, 8% worse than Mike Trout, which is to say he's the second or third best player in baseball <laughs> and he just didn't quite have. he didn't quite like take over in a way that you expected uh, him to like Springer him. Springer did what Springer always does and Altuve kind of did what Altuve always does but Bregman didn't like a, the grand slam was huge and stuff but he just didn't he wasn't like this kind of like uh oh here comes Bregman thing you know he right, went over 5 in defense? that game he like he Where
1: was the defense by yeah. the way the, the, I mean that's Bregman Bregman took over the last world series he was in with his defense in yeah. in a lot of ways you know so yeah. I thought it was a little bit off. All right. With my, uh, whatever third pick, I am going to take game five, which was a pretty boring kind of dreadful game, but for two reasons, one Garrett Cole, uh, was really good. It was great to, I, I like that guy a lot. And I, I really enjoyed watching him pitch that game. That was really a lot of fun. And then the second thing, I don't know if you knew this, uh, there was booing at that game. So, um, <laughs> so, so that's, uh, so that's going to be my, uh, my, uh, third pick.
0: Yeah, it, the rest of these games are kind of pick to me. Right. Um, uh, I'll, it's fine. They're all, they're all the same. Five, two, and four are basically the same game. Uh, blowout games from one side or the other. I'll go with game two um, oh, just, beca- just because after the first game, you expected the Astros to come back and blow out the Nationals and, and even the series, especially like Verlander was pitching and Strasburg, who, who basically made himself – I don't know five hundred million dollars this postseason. Um, Strasburg outpitched Verlander, which was fun to see. The Nationals did what the Nationals have done all year, which is they got offensive contributions from a bunch of randos who you <laughs> did not did not see coming. Suzuki homered, Eaton homered, Michael Taylor homered. Um, they uh, they just like just destroyed them. I mean, they you know they scored two runs in the top of the first, and Houston immediately tied it up. And you were like, all right, here we go. Then no one scored until the seventh. Strasburg basically shut the Astros down for the rest of the game. And then the Nats just went wild. They scored 10 runs in the last three innings. They just knocked the ball all over the field. The Astros totally fell apart defensively. And the the Nationals just got like, you were like, who are these guys? How are Howie Kendrick and Azdrubal Cabrera and and Kurt Suzuki and, and Michael Taylor pinch. It was a pinch hit Homer basically. Yeah. Uh, crazy. and yeah. And it was, it was the sort of like, Oh, now, now the Nats really have a chance to win. Um, because if, if, if Strasburg can have pitch Verlander and they can beat Cole, uh, you know, that, that was like a, it was like a really, uh, kind of monumental shift in the whole season, the way the whole season of baseball had gone.
1: I agree. That game depressed me a little bit. I loved seeing the Nationals, you know, play well. And I loved seeing them just kind of hit the ball over the park. But there was this whole series continued that Verlander can't win in the postseason in the world series. He's great in the postseason. Right. But he's not good at all. He still hasn't won a world series game. Uh, Not that winning games at this point matters, but, but uh, you know, the pitcher wins doesn't matter, but um Ugh, he just continued that thing. So now we're narratives. here to look. Narratives are the worst. Oh, the worst. and now we've got this narrative um, that that the two. I don't know if they're the two best pitchers of our generation. Maybe they are, but both Verlander and 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 uh, Kershaw, like like, there's a blah thing attached to their name, and I really don't like I that. Know, it's I dense. Really don't. It stinks. All right, with my, I'll take game four. I actually had game four reasonably high on my list, not because it was a good game, because it was not uh, a particularly interesting game. But Urquiti was fun, right? I yeah. mean, that was fun to watch that guy pitch. That you know, you didn't really know him. That was the game that everybody thought, oh, it's a bullpen game. The Astros have no chance, and a bullpen game, and they're, they're going to you know fall behind three one, and the series is going to be over. Uh, and then he comes out and and was terrific. And that was the game that the Intentional walk from the day before fell apart when Bregman hit the Grand Slam. So so there was at least something. But yeah. Okay. So wrapping it up, good series, average series, weird. I mean, do you just categorize it? It was not a great series. When I started seeing people list off greatest world series of all time, I didn't even look at the stories for fear that this would be in there because- you got to be kidding me! No, I, mean, this no, this was I mean, no, this is nowhere close. I mean, the result—the
0: result was interesting, right? No, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think, ninety percent of people picking teams, even though the Nationals were the best team in baseball after they started nineteen and thirty-one or whatever, I think almost everyone thought the Astros were going to win. So the sure. the result was interesting, and and a and a. They and the Nationals did have a flair for late inning offensive heroics, and they yes. did get they did get very good pitching from kind of unexpected guys. And Strasburg really kind of like a the, to be able to hold that lineup down in the way that he did in two starts um, was really impressive. You know, it's fu- it's always fun to watch Scherzer pitch. It's always fun to watch Strasburg pitch. It's always uh, a delight to see any time a lineup as good as the Astros lineup get yeah. held held down by a pitcher. Um, but I, no, it was fine. It was a fine World Series. It, I don't think it, it. It. it's not like top 30 all time probably to me. I mean, it, it went seven games. So that's something like that. You know, not that many World Series go seven games. But right. I, don't, right. I, don't, I don't think I'll ever look back on this World Series super fondly or anything.
1: No, I think it's the least interesting seven game series of our lifetime. I mean, not I mean, not. Well, in- by the way, Astros in- Dodgers
0: was pretty uh, was pretty It was OK. Some- it was
1: amazing until game seven. Yeah. I mean it really was. I guess the I mean, seven
0: the seventh game was very boring, but yeah. right.
1: Yeah. That seventh game kind of because that series I think was in the mix for like that was a top five series until game seven kind until of and it kind of like, ended with a whimper, yeah. Yeah, it ended quietly. By the way, since somebody is right now yelling at the uh at the podcast right now, uh we should point out that two people we know did actually pick the nationals to win. One of those, of course, being Megan Amram here on uh, on the podcast. As as we knew, based on her extensive knowledge of the game, mm-hmm. um, although it is also true that uh, a ball did not actually get hit through Justin Verlander. So, <laughs> so, so we, we do have to point out her full her full prediction didn't come through, but but her main part of it did. And I should say, when I was I was uh, lucky enough to be. Hanging out with Nick Offerman, uh, he said Nationals and seven. Oh, those words go. came out of his mouth. So I would also so, like to
0: add uh, as a side note, and we've talked about this many times before, but it was it is wild in this day and age to watch, like Josh James. Uh, oh Josh gosh. James is um, is 6'3", 200 and something pounds. Right, he, he sits at ninety eight. Really, yeah, he, he can oh, touch yeah. ninety nine and a hundred, and he's like the. What the fifth guy out of the pen? <laughs>
1: well, that's the thing. He's, he's kind of random. He's he's just kind of a random guy.
0: Yeah, and like you know, if you if you bring Josh James back in time and put him on any team in the nineteen seventies or eighties, he's a Hall of Famer. Like he becomes <laughs> a Hall of Famer because well, no, no one throws that hard, and he's a little wild. But like so was everybody back then. Uh, and Josh oh. James, Josh James is literally like the fifth best reliever in that bullpen.
1: Yeah, that if Josh James was in the 70s like he would be doing like Gillette commercials with Pete Rose right like yeah. he would be he'd be like even if some sort of crazy you know Jesse James like nickname or something I mean it's it's uh yeah we are living in, and 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 it should be pointed out since I've been thinking a lot lately I've actually been saying the word wonder a lot lately because uh, I don't know if you know this uh, I wrote a book about Harry Houdini did I mention this to you when yeah I know I I it it's been a couple of weeks i should have told you before i did why it why wouldn't you have brought this up before now it seems it seems a mistake on my part um but anyway i've been talking about that and and i've been connecting that word wonder with like everything you know with sports and music and art and all these other things and and look there is a there is a part of me that wants to be able to watch every baseball game and see pitchers from Strasburg to Josh James throwing a hundred miles an hour and seeing hitters hit the ball and just have my mouth dropped that this is happening, that this is possible. You know, I mean, it's like sure. how how do they do it? It's 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 mind boggling what they do.
0: Last thing to say about the series is I was really happy that Jordan Alvarez had a good series because he was so bad against the Yankees, oh, um, and it was like, oh no, is this moment too big for this young guy? And then he went wild again. And uh, as much as I'm going to enjoy watching Soto play for the next 15 years, watching that guy play for the next 15 well, years is going to be equally as enjoyable because he's well, such great. a
1: beast. He said that's what's so great about. They're both super young left-handed hitters with power, and and you go, you know, they're but they're totally different. They're totally yeah. different. Or, or Alvarez is this hulking you know, Willie McCovey-esque monster and and Soto is like this hitting genius. It's it's incredible. Absolutely incredible.
0: Just real quick, let's just agree that I won the draft.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember what we drafted. I mean, I'm, I'm at that point where yeah. – no, it was uh, – I'm going to call the draft a tie. I, I think the basic conclusion from the draft was interesting World Series – not great world series right yeah and that, like it guys? wasn't
0: it wasn't like a disaster no, no no world series that goes seven games is a disaster it was fine it was fine and interesting and the result was the interesting result as opposed right. to the non-interesting result so like solid b it's a solid well, b
1: that's what we'll give the draft the draft i mean the uh, the uh, world series a solid b
0: yeah all right so the let's dra- check in on <laughs> the draft as always gets
1: an f minus <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't even get a grade incomplete it's just incomplete <laughs> Let's check in on the Cleveland Browns. How are they doing? Um, I don't know if you know this. The Browns, um, they're not good again. They're hmm. th- and and this year feels. I don't know. I you know I've been doing this this uh, Browns diary. Uh, now doing it for the Athletic. I've been doing this Browns diary pretty much as long as we've been doing this podcast. It feels like, although it it, it has not been that long and in the past i i must concede that their their terribleness while it while it pained me as a fan made for 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 fun writing because th- th- there was no there was no hope they were going to be good so it really was just i i just basically got to write a weekly uh, monologue about about the terribleness of the browns right this year they were they were supposed to be good. I mean, like, like legitimately supposed to be good, not fake, you know, hope or whatever. And they have a lot of good players on the team. And I, it's, it's been depressing to me. It's been depressing and not just because the expectations, but one of the most depressing games I saw. And I, I, I know you don't watch the NFL much, but you were paying attention because this was against the Patriots. And, they absolutely matched up with the Patriots from a talent perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the Patriots are better, but but pure talent perspective. Here, here's how I I think I said it to you in the in the in the text. If the two coaching staffs had just switched sides, the score would have been absolutely reversed. Like yeah. the Browns would have won whatever that final score was, twenty six to thirteen or whatever it was. And and as an outsider, as a as a sort of like you know as a as a Brown's curious fan. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What is happening here? Well, here's here's
0: the sad thing about the Browns, uh, and it's like you said, it's a new sad thing. Um, they every good player on their team is healthy, every yes. single one. Yes, Nick Chubb and and Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, whoever Landry, else, whoever Landry yep. and yep. Olivier Vernon. They're all they've all. I think. They haven't yeah, known of these guys have missed a game, right? Joe Ward is
1: really the only guy that's missed a game. That's that's right.
0: that's, that's good. But yeah. like when all of your when you have that roster of best players and they've all played every game and you're 2 and 6, there is exactly <laughs> one reason for it. The reason is the team isn't coached well. Right? And uh and, and because you Baker Mayfield is uh taking a gigantic step backwards this year and um and the team is uh was in that uh, Patriots game I think was penalized 45 times for 750 yards.
1: <laughs> that's correct. That, those are exact
0: numbers. Yeah, man, that's coaching. That's just yeah. that's the that's the place where you see the rubber meet the road in in the NFL. It's coaching. And like I just it's so disappointing because at the end of last year, it was like, "Oh my god, Baker Mayfield is a real thing." And right? uh and Freddie Kitchens is the offensive coordinator. He's going to take over the team and they finally have like a head coach who's like exciting. And then the answer is like, no, he stinks. He, that guy stinks. He just does. You can like that's the only. It's the only possible. And he has. And, and part of the reason you know he stinks is that he has said, I believe, out loud, I don't really coach penalties.
1: Yes. And it's like, yes. well, that's
0: that's like kind of the only thing you have to scheme and you have to coach penalties. And I, I watched. Uh, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched my first NFL game uh, in in a, in a significant chunk of it. The other night, the Patriots Ravens game and right. the Ravens won that game by 17 points. Uh, it doesn't it, it was a it was in the NFL in the NFL. It's about as solid a win as you can have. Right. Yes. They won by 17. That's a that's an enormous number of points to win an NFL game by. And here are some things that happened in that game. On the first drive, the uh, the Patriots stopped the Ravens on their first drive at like their five yard line and then right. they lined up for a field goal, and then the Patriots jumped offside, gave yeah. the uh, Ravens a first down, they scored a touchdown. So that's four points they gave them right there. Yes. Then later in the game, the Patriots were driving down the field. They were at the Ravens' 30. Julian Edelman fumbled uh, a pass, caught a pass, fumbled, and it was returned for a touchdown. That's, let's call it 10 points. Even 10 if they points. don't get a touchdown, that's 10 more points. So right. 14 points on two mistakes, and suddenly, it's a three-point game, and it's a yes. coin flip, right? So, like, the only thing that causes wins and losses in the NFL is coaching and turnovers and that and penalties and that kind of stuff. So, if the teams, every good player on the team is healthy, and the guys who are healthy, who are the good players, are that good, Jarvis Landry isn't like a deep threat, but he he has like more receptions in his first whatever four, five years right? than any player in NFL history, <laughs> right? He, and and you know they've got a ton of like first round draft choice like studs on their defense and they have arguably the best receiver in football uh on their uh playing on the outside and they had a quarterback who we've seen look really good ironically in the same offense that the offensive coordinator now head coach was running it's coaching and penalties man that's that's the reason like they they would be four and four at least if they were better coached and had fewer penalties, they could have won that game in New England. They could have won the game against Denver. Like that's the real yeah, bummer of absolutely. this to me is like, it's not rank incompetence in terms of general managing or putting the roster together. It's incompetence from, from a place that you thought you had two places. You thought you had solved the incompetence problem, which is quarterback and head coach. And those two things are, are obviously directly related. So what's nice about this. And when I say nice, I mean, terrible is, is that you have a new reason to be sad about the Browns. If you're a Browns fan, you have, it's not just that expectations were high and now there's, they stink again. It's that you, you, it's like an entirely new problem. It's an entirely new set of issues that is uh, actively fighting the solution, the excellent solution that you would come up with for all the other problems, which is that they didn't have any players. Now they have players and they still stink. That's, I mean, it's, it's devastating. It really is. Like I was as a uh, Browns curious fan was, <laughs> was coming into the season thinking, man, it would be really fun if there were some new teams like that. That's a thing that baseball has been good at for all yes. of its problems. Baseball. I think I texted this to you and Brandon after the world series. It's just since in the, in this century, we've right. had the Red Sox Cubs, white Sox, angels, uh uh, who else the nationals like all They're of these teams team. yeah. the Royals for the first time in in thirty whatever years right. we've had all of these teams, big market really? teams, and small market teams win their first world series either ever in some of those cases or in hundred years plus in the other of those cases, and football is bad at that. they really are like football is not good somehow with a with a hard salary cap. And yeah. a, a league-wide directive to maintain parity at all costs. The league has been really bad about having new blood. It's always the same teams. It's always the Patriots and the Ravens and the in the AFC. And it's always the uh, you know, the Packers and the whoever in the NFC. Like it just feels like there's no there's there you're not like I was looking forward to a year where it was like the Browns and the titans and right, the whoever right, you right. know and then in the nfc maybe it would be i don't know the you know the falcons i guess got in there one year last year a couple of years ago but it's it's weird that there isn't more um that there that there aren't more teams like the browns who break through and actually be, go on title runs uh and it's a bummer man i it's it like is. it's yet another reason to not care about that sport at least for me it,
1: it's so, it's, yeah, we don't need any more reasons though. I mean, it's so, it's so true. I mean, there are breakthrough, right? The Eagles, like that story was, was, was good and kind of sure. came out of nowhere. And I guess the 49ers this year, I guess, are interesting. I guess I, you know, I, 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 do you really like, I, that's the thing. I'm do you not.
0: really feel like that you you trust the 49ers? I mean, they're, no. they're, that stat, no. the, the stat of, um. I mean, here are the, here are the AFC title games here are the AFC like title game winners um from the last like 20 years and just going right. backwards it's Patriots 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 Broncos Patriots Broncos Ravens Patriots Steelers Colts Steelers Patriots Colts Steelers Patriots 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 <laughs> Ravens and it's and you know there you had a couple years in there What's where that? the Jets snuck in and you had it but generally well, they speak, there was that, win. no there was that stat a while ago that like there there hasn't been it there hadn't been a title game without Roethlisberger Manning or uh, Brady in like 15 years or whatever. right Like it's those three guys are just, I mean, this year won't be Roethlisberger and it won't be Manning, but it might be Brady. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and you know, a chiefs Browns, um, uh, you know, uh, title game would have been really fun. Like it would have been like, it just, you know, there, there, it felt like coming into this year, you know, Brady is 43 and, and Manning's gone, and and now you know Roethlisberger's out. And it was like, well, here we go, some new blood. And yet, it looks like it's going to be the Patriots and the Ravens again, uh, in all likelihood. Uh, and who knows? You know, look, anything can happen. Brady can get injured uh, tomorrow at practice or whatever. And you, who who knows? Maybe the Browns right. will go on a crazy run and get to nine no. and seven and sneak no, in. No, that that can't happen. Probably not. But no. there's there's just this there's this inevitability about. About football, that is like a, it's
1: not I, supposed to be this way. Well, but I think it really does come down to exactly what you started off with. Like, Balachek is that much better than everyone else. I mean, he just is, you know, and, and there are some coaches that come along that are excellent, even for short periods of time, like Harbaugh or, you know, extended periods of time. It's, it is, you need, it is the, to me, by far, the most coach driven sport that in any at, at any level in the world is, yeah. is is football and and that's why i say look i and i you and i have gone uh back and forth on this in 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 you know in good ways or bad uh i give tom brady you know all the props and and you know he is he is at the top of the list but if you're asking me which one of those guys i want to start a franchise with it's Belichick. i mean that's just I I really truly believe if it had been someone else, there maybe they wouldn't win like they have. Where you know it's which is un, it's insane. We went over uh, Brady's playoff record. It's like it's ridiculous. It's 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 nuts. But he'd win. He'd win, and he'd do fine, and <laughs> yeah. and 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 he he'd have Super Bowl rings, uh, no matter who his quarterback was. So yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. And and you know they're. It's been a little while. I mean, I guess you know, in Philadelphia, he did it, and you know, and then in in San Francisco, that seems like they've got some good coaching the the Rams last year. So there are a few young coaches coming along that that seem to seem to be willing, you know, able to break through. But it's such a coach driven sport, and that's the story of the Browns. The Browns have have a coach who is in way over his head. It's a first year guy who's never been a head coach. Uh, he insisted on still calling the plays, which I don't blame him. I mean, that's what he did. That's why he got the job. But here's a guy who doesn't know how to be a head coach, and now he's also calling plays, so it's only making things worse. And uh, yeah, I'm sad. I mean, I, I'm just sad. That's it. I don't that's blame you, man.
0: I don't blame you. It's it. Yeah, it is a. Um, it's like a, a national bummer. It it's like a, it's, <laughs> it, is. It, it. It's gone from a, it, it, gone from a it, until this year. It was a national joke. Right. And now it's something else. It's a national bummer because it, it was like the, I mean, look, at some point we will enter this new era. Roethlisberger will retire and (laughs) Brady will retire and it'll be like, it'll be Pat Mahomes for five straight years or whatever. Assuming he doesn't get hurt. The only thing I would say that, that the only reason that I found myself wanting to watch more football was Lamar Jackson. Now I say this full of agony and pain, in my heart because I truly detest the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> I right, truly hate right. them, not they were, just because they they're the Browns. Number one hate.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
0: but I, I just hate, I've always hated the franchise. I hate the team. I hate the way they play. Um, but Lamar Jackson is, uh, he's just one of those guys. Like joy. he's just, just like, and and I, I truly love that every good thing he does as a quarterback causes a little pang of agony in Bill Polian's <laughs> heart. <laughs> <laughs> just makes me happy because he said he should be a wide receiver coming out of the draft. And, but I, I just love the guy who, whoever it is, Juan Soto was sort of like this in a weird way in baseball, but I love the guy who even amongst the elite level athletes that he is playing with is that much more athletic, just yeah. the most, yeah. the the kind of athletic genius of Lamar Jackson and the complete inability of the best coached defense that the through eight games, the best scoring defense the NFL's ever seen, the right. best coach defense on the best team for the last 20 years. They had no idea what to do about him. They just no? and and you look at the stat line and it doesn't it doesn't look like the stat it's it's one of these actual things. Actual instances of the stat line not telling the story, where he had like, he had like sixty five yards rushing or something, and he had like you know a, I don't know one hundred and eighty five yards passing. Right. If you watch the game, it was like he was a he was a he was playing with children. Like he was right. doing whatever he wanted to. They could not stop him, and that is such a joy to watch in in any sport. It's what it's watching Messi in his prime in soccer. It's watching you know uh, whoever. It's watching Mike Trout play um right. in his prime it's it's the the kind of like the ultimate sort of genius level like he's doctor manhattan from the watchmen just doing just like <laughs> above like hovering above everyone else toying with them that I, that was so enjoyable to watch like i really yeah. i really enjoyed and it made me really sad to be happy about something uh that was happening that was good for the ravens
1: <laughs> <laughs> as well as well it should. all right it's time for uh, one last meaningless thing because we've we've gotta wrap this up. It's one last
0: meaningless thing to end this meaningless
1: thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know like how beaches are terrible places to go.
0: No hot fruit for Michael nor Diet coke for Joe The podcast was
1: it's one last one. So I'm going to start with one last meaningless thing because I've got an actual meaningless thing, but I think you want to actually have a, a little conversation about uh, something in your meaningless thing. So I will start. Uh, my one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing is um, I, I don't like the fact that Greek yogurt has taken over the yogurt world. Really? I, I, well, I'm. I'm. And and let me say that I'm not. It's not that I won't have Greek yogurt. It's fine. I'm not. I just feel like I feel like it has. It is. It's. It like when it was an option. Like, oh, you want regular yogurt or Greek yogurt or Icelandic yogurt or whatever the other options are. Um. Yeah. I love that you had that as an option. But now it's like the Greeks have taken over the world, and like now yogurt is just greek yogurt like there's no other real like in in restaurants or if you're ordering a parfait or something like that they just put greek yogurt as the default and i don't think it should be that way i don't i don't i think greek yogurt is uh it's an aggressive country that is trying to take over the world and uh <laughs> and I, I i feel i feel it is it is doing uh it is doing very well for itself but but uh i cannot uh, support uh greek yogurt's world domination plans I don't think I can – I don't think I can go
0: with you on this one.
1: Uh, um, you love Greek we, yogurt. Well, I I, I eat
0: uh, – I do eat like a yogurt parfait as like a favorite breakfast of mine. Sure, uh, sure. And um, Greek yogurt uh, as like the base for a yogurt parfait I find pretty good. And it also has way less sugar than well, – No, regular- it's better
1: for you, right? Yeah. Right. It just it's- shouldn't be – I just don't think – it's sort of the way that Belgian waffles became the only waffles. Like you couldn't order non-Belgian waffles. I don't want a world where you cannot order non-Greek yogurt.
0: You're looking for variety in your yogurt options.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And they're taking that away from me. It's freedom. I thought we lived in a free country. Uh, I guess. I don't know, man. I, I,
0: I, I think it's like, it's one of those things to me that's like, um, you know uh it's a choice it is you're right it is being made for you a little bit but yeah. i feel like it's it's the better choice and so it's hard <laughs> i i understand the, the 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 libertarian desire to have whatever yogurt sure. you deem to be the best yogurt <laughs> but uh i i think it tastes pretty good i like greek yogurt i don't know i don't I, right. I can't well, i can't fair. back this um very right. meaningless though well done um my so Thank my you. one last meaningless thing isn't meaningless um and it's no, a it's, not. it's a it's a heartfelt and sincere hope that will be soon dashed that Dwight Evans gets into the Hall of Fame on the mod- whatever they're calling it, the modern ballot. What are they calling it? Modern, modern, uh, modern era ballot. The modern era ballot. It's just a fake yeah. way to get Jack Morris into the Hall of Fame, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which they did. Which, which they, they did. did. They should have yeah.
0: shut it down. They should have just. They should have like. They should have admitted that the only reason they did this was so that Jack Morris could get into the Hall of Fame. So. Dwight Evans, uh, he came up—I uh, uh, don't know—in '96 in or something or '97. He was up on the regular ballot like three times. He never got more than like 10% of the vote. And yeah. he, he, look, by what you would call Hall of Fame standards, um, I'm not—he's—he's he's a borderline case, but he deserved sure. to get way more than 10% of the vote. Like,
1: oh, absolutely.
0: Dwight Evans was a great baseball player he was a great hitter he was a great defensive right fielder he played in a time when he walked a lot and no one cared he had a 370 obp in his career which at the which was like very good for his era you'd never want to do this and i i i caveat pre uh discussion caveat i don't i hate this argument but (laughs) but he's if you go by other guys who have gotten in he should get in like if you go by the worst guys who have gotten into the hall of right. fame he's better right. than those guys and i know that's a terrible argument and you can ignore it but he he has like he is his statistics compare very favorably to a number of current hall of famers Oh, absolutely. and he, and he was incredibly underrated he was because a huge part of his game was his arm and he was playing right field in the weirdest right field in baseball. Now Nowadays, if you're Mookie Betts, you people understand how hard it is to play that right field back then. No one cared and no one right. had any analytics or whatever. Um, and, uh, and he, he was, he was just always underrated. He had a really, really long career. He played 19 years and he was good almost until the very end. And uh, I, I hope that this, fake backdoor side door modern (laughs) era ballot thing um somehow or another he sneaks in now he probably won't because here are the other guys are on the ballot so steve garvey's on the ballot and people love steve garvey and he he has i think a pretty good chance of getting in tommy john
1: i don't think you don't don't
0: think he's going to get in
1: Garvey? No. Oh,
0: no. Garvey's been on the
1: ballot like 12 times, and he never gets But isn't that why
0: he's going to get in? It's like the Oscars. um, If you hang around long enough, (laughs) you'll get one.
1: He's got a few more ballots to go before I think he's going to get in.
0: Interesting. Well, Tommy John is on the ballot. He was a very good. He won 288 games. Uh, sure. which is had, a, had dumb, a surgery named after him and had a and more importantly probably had a surgery <laughs> named after him
1: right, right um
0: so he's got a good chance mattingly's on the ballot everybody loves don mattingly I love him. uh i mean really if anything's been an over dewey then there's a real then we're gonna have no he's not no no um thurman munson is on the ballot which yeah. you know tragic case obviously and sure. you know mvp and
1: I'm a little sad sad he's on the ballot because I think he takes votes away from Ted Simmons, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Right, right. Dale Murphy
0: is on the ballot, who's a pet cause of yours. I love uh, Getting Dale Murphy in the Hall of Fame. Dave Parker, great hitter for the the Pirates, is on the ballot. Simmons, like you said, Whitaker is the guy who definitely
1: is getting in, I would say, right? I think so. I think Whitaker's going to get in. And look, Garvey could get in. And the reason I think if Garvey gets in, it would be because Harold Baines got in last year, yeah, you know Garvey, I think if, Garvey, as a Hall of Fame candidate is lacking a lot, but Garvey direct comparison to Harold Baines, eh, he suddenly looks pretty good, but that's you know? what I, I mean, but
0: that's what I mean when I talk about Dwight Evans, right? Harold Baines right. didn't play defense, so like the, the oh, and,
1: and I think uh, that Dewey is a better hitter than
0: Harold Dewey's Baines. is definitely a better hitter and absolutely a better defensive yeah. player because Harold Baines literally didn't play defense. And so that's what I mean. It's like when you look at the worst guys who have gotten
1: in. Well, I don't. But I'll, let me say this: I don't think you have to look at the worst guys. I mean, the guy at '67 War—that's legit Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, it's not—it's not slam dunk Hall of Fame. But '67 War should should get you 15 years on the ballot and and you know have people talking about you know you as a legit Hall of Famer. And and the thing that's always bugged me about about uh, Dewey not getting his uh, due, huh? Huh? Ah. See how I did that? Um, He was a better player than Jim Rice. And I know Red Sox fans, a lot of Red Sox fans don't want to hear that. Uh, Jim Rice won an MVP. Jim Rice did a lot of numerical things that were really cool, the 400 total bases and and all that sort of thing. But I don't think there's any question that Dewey was a better player. He was a better fielder. I mean, I think Rice was actually an underrated defensive player because he, he was viewed not as a particularly good defensive player while he was playing. But he was better than that. And he hit with power and, 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 you know, did a lot of great things. But I mean, across the board, Dewey was better. I mean, Dewey had, you know, he was a better hitter when you, you know, take into account his on base percentage. Uh, He, with, you know, he has more home runs actually in his career, Uh, a longer career, but still, Uh, all those gold gloves, you know, defensively, what a force. And, um, you know, and, and Jim Rice got in on the, on the, you know, the BBWAA ballot. He didn't even have to go to the veterans. right? And that's fine. I think that's great. But it is, it is you know, two guys who played together for that long for Jim Rice to be in the Hall of Fame and, and uh, Dwight Evans to have been pretty much ignored up to now. I'm thrilled to see him on the ballot. I hope he gets some support so we can, get, I don't think he'll get in this year, but I hope he gets some support so we can get on the next ballot because I, I think he should be a pet cause. You know, I love Dale Murphy in so many ways. And I think two MVPs, being widely acknowledged as, you know, the best or one of the very best players for a six, seven year span. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big Dale fan and I think Dale belongs and I think Dale had a bigger impact on the game than most people because of playing in Atlanta and, and on the Superstation and all that stuff. Um, but Dwight Evans was a better player. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I mean, I think when you look over the length of their career, probably not as good at necessarily in his peak, but over the length and breadth of his career, um, you know, yeah.
0: uh, he was Hopefully, better. And I mean, Rice kind of got in on the strength of the seventy-eight year, right? Yes. Like he, had, he had a year where he was so good um that it's like if anyone has a year that good, that guy should be in the Hall of Fame. That was essentially right. the argument. And he right. he he led the league in home runs two other times. Rice uh, yeah, and, no, and he look, did he, was he great was, player. Yeah. yeah. He, but but he was terrible defensively and he DH'd a lot. And Dewey, um, was a Dewey defensively, obviously easily better. He right. had, he had more, he had a higher n- counting numbers in most of the stats that matter. Right. He had a high, he had a higher on base percentage by 20 points. They had essentially the exact same OPS plus, except right. Dewey's was higher in on base percentage, which is more valuable. So like, yeah, they, I don't. He's better than Rice. He's better than Baines. He's better than a, a lot of other guys you could mention. Look, I, th-
1: I think I love Andre Dawson, but I I think he's better than Dawson too. I mean, yeah. Dawson again, better peak, but but if you look over the entire and Dawson was hurt, so you know it's hard to it's hard to make those comparisons. I'm just saying he belongs in the conversation with almost every outfielder. I mean, he's not there with Griffey and those guys, but almost every outfielder that's gone into the Hall of Fame in the last 25 years. Dwight Evans matches up pretty darn well with most of them, and uh, and he's been ignored up to now. So him being on the ballot is a great thing.
0: It is great, and uh, also, I every time we bring up Jim Rice, I have to mention that he grounded into thirty six double plays <laughs> in nineteen eighty four, which is truly, <laughs> truly amazing. I mean, that's that's, that's,
1: that's amazing. It's an amazing enormous number of times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come up that many times with a man on base with less than two outs is pretty. Pretty good. And he made the most of those opportunities. He really did.
0: You know? he, max, he maximized <laughs> those opportunities.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, we, I said we we're going to cut it short. We're cutting it short. So as always, thank you. Thanks for having
0: me.